Live from the bridge at the Launchpad Studios in Huntington, New York, it's Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Cardboard Memories, Clearview, Long Island, the law firm of Decalator, Cohen, and DePrisco, the Phoenix Tube Company, Pims Incorporated, fueling brand performance for 30 years, Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, and Soho Table Hockey. Here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who was born nine weeks early and weighed only three pounds, nine ounces. He would grow to be one of the <laughs> biggest and most feared hitters in baseball. He was a 12-letter varsity athlete in basketball, football, and baseball at Trinity High School in Paul in New York. He played college ball at Seton Hall, where he set the school record for home runs with 28. In his three years at Seton Hall, he had a total of 57 home runs, 218 RBIs, both team records. He, he earned the Jack Hazer Award as MVP in the 1986 Big East Conference Baseball Tournament while keying the Pirates Championship run. He was a first-round pick of the Boston Red Sox, three-time All-Star, won the American League MVP Award in 1995 with the Red Sox. It is a pleasure to welcome one of my all-time favorite players, number 115 on the all-time home run list, and the one and only hit dog himself, Mo Vaughn, to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Mo. How you doing, guys? How are you? Doing great. Anytime we can speak to you, we are doing great. So, you know, it, it's so interesting because even though we mentioned all those things that you accomplished in your career, you're probably not even the most athletically gifted Vaughn in the family. Can you tell our audience a little bit about your dad, Leroy, and where his career was headed before his, his injury? Oh, man, he was a tremendous athlete. You know, he played, uh, went to HBCU, Virginia Union. Got drafted by the Baltimore Colts. Um, Raymond Bear, John, you know, Don Shula, Johnny Unitas um, were some of his favorite people. And, you know, coming back to Connecticut, he played in, you know, people always talk to me about him playing with the, the Stanford Golden Bears. But damn it, he didn't give me any of the speed that I needed at all. <laughs> you know, he kept it all, all to himself. But he was a, a tremendous football player, could really throw the football. Was a back, you know, and then, you know, in, you know, trying to make it to the NFL. Um, coached at, you know, Brian McMahon High School football was the first, you know, innovator of putting, you know, all guy, you know, making them, keeping all the, all the players involved by having, you know, players just play defense and players just play offense. It was, it was, it was a, it was a beautiful thing, but, um, it's great. You know, um, he was, he's, he's still here, you know, at 89 years old. Um, my best friend, um, I'm, you know, I'm always hanging with him down. I got him down here with me in Florida. So, uh, but it, it, uh, a great guy, a great inspiration um, to me, and I'm very proud of him. You know, it, it's so interesting. Also, there was a great story about how uh, Raymond Berry was, like, cleaning out his house and found this picture of he and your dad and told some great stories about that. So I urge people to go out and, and check that story out. You ended up at Trinity High School in Pauling, New York, and played for a legendary coach there, Miles Hubbard, who was also a pretty good athlete himself. He actually got eight varsity letters in football, basketball, track, and baseball. In his senior year, he was a captain of the football and track teams and won the most valuable player award in both sports. What was the biggest thing you learned from Coach Hubbard? Wow, just uh, first, what a tremendous friend he was to me, you know, at Trinity Pauling. Uh, he was the athletic director, so, you know, he always took care of the athletes. But he was just a great guy. I and mean, the guy I missed, you know, he passed, passed this year. 
um, this past year, you know, in the summertime. But what just a great force, a lover of Trinity Paul and a graduate, came back to the school as the athletic director, coach, coached me in basketball and, 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 and baseball. I probably had some of the most fun I've ever had with him, you know, in sports, with him coaching me in basketball. Um, just his, you know, that's how I got the name Mo, because he couldn't yell Maurice fast <laughs> enough, so he cut it so he could just curse me out as quickly as, quickly <laughs> as possible. But it was, it was just so much love between him and I. And, you know, I remember he said one thing to me, um, I think it was my sophomore year, and he, and he walked up to me and he goes, you know, Mo, it's just as easy to do things right as it is as it is to do them wrong if you just take five extra minutes and do the right thing. And I never forgot that. And I took that into my training. I took that into my my workouts. I took that into, you know, my studying. And, and even though I wasn't a great student, but, you know, I never forgot those words that he said to me. And I, 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 I really coach that way now. I probably coach the same way that he coaches me. I coach my son who's, you know, nine years old playing softball. I have a, you know, VSA Academy down here in Brooklyn Tone. All those guys, my dad, Coach Hubbard, the things I learned at Drunder Trinity Pauling, the things I learned at Seton Hall, all of what I'm trying to do and, and, and just make an impression on young people now. Yeah. So AJ, uh, the co-host, is actually in Florida and he's not able to be on this phone call with us. And we were talking about when we, we knew you were going to have you on the show. He wanted to know that, you know, you went to that small prep school instead of a larger public high school. Um, obviously, you still got noticed, uh, but maybe not as widespread notice because it was a, a, a small school. So you weren't drafted out of high school. Given the importance of education in your family, your father was a principal, your mother a teacher, how seriously do you think you would have given consideration passing up college for professional baseball had you been drafted as a high school student? You know, I was lucky, but I was drafted in, out of high school. You know, I had played, you know, down there in Connecticut in a lot of, you know, the local leagues. But I got drafted out of, out of the third round by the Phillies, you know, three years earlier. But my mom was like, she didn't, she didn't even tell my dad and I. She basically answered the phone and said, he's going to college and, you know, that's going to be it. And she kind of like, you know, at the end of the night, you know, we're, we're at the dinner place. She's like, oh, yeah, the, you know, the Phillies called, but I told him you weren't going to, to play professional baseball. I almost fell out of my chair, bro. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, but that was, you know, you know, you know, my parents were very, very big into school, education. You know, between my oldest sister, Catherine, you know, my mother and my father, you got 90, almost 90, 100 years of teaching in our family. And I think, you know, it was just it was just important, you know, to them and, and to, uh, to, you know, for us to, to go to school as long as we could and get an education. So it leads to a scholarship to Seton Hall in South Orange, New Jersey. You join a pretty good roster. Craig Biggio, John Valentin, Kevin Morton. Yet you really separate yourself. As a freshman, you earned All-American Big East Rookie of the Year, hit 429 Seton Hall, like we mentioned in the open record, 28 home runs, MVP of the conference tournament, batting 500 with seven home runs to lead the Pirates to the finals. All told, you hit 416 during your time at Seton Hall, broke the school records for home runs, runs batted in, 
All this under yet another legendary coach, Mike Shepard, who led Seton Hall to 10 NCAA tournaments, two College World Series. He had an overall record of 998 and 540. How did being on a team as well as playing for Coach Shepard prepare you for the major leagues? Well, first, you know, Mike Shepard, we all didn't agree and like a lot of his ways, but I have to admit, you know, his toughness on us as players is what got me through to be able to withstand the minor leagues, to withstand the tough media scrutiny in Boston in the major leagues. He was a, a no-nonsense guy. He was an ex-Marine, and he ran it that way. And, you know, when back in our day, you know, things could happen on the field that are a lot different than now. So I'll just say that. I think I've had – I was also lucky to be involved with a, a first-base coach with a guy by the name of Nick Bolas out of, out of New Jersey who really took me under my wing and taught me the game and how to get along and got me, you know, through school and, and, and you know, really, really, really took care of me when I was there. But greatness only comes with great, great players. And at that time, the, you know, the, the, the Pirates, we had Biggio catching. Martise Robinson was playing first base. He batted 429. He was a co-winner of the Golden Spikes, Spikes Award that year with Robert Ventura. We had Dana Brown who got drafted in center Brown, center, you know, out of center field. You know, John Valentin was playing shortstop. You had Pete Patron in left field. You had Ralph Soto in right field. And, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, Robert Shepard was playing second base. We had a great, and the cap by the name of Rick Fukrosky, you know, on the mound. If we just had another couple more pitches to go with him and Johnny Brogan, I think we would have went to the World Series. But, you know, to come out my freshman year, hit 28 home runs and drive in 90 runs in, in 45 games, it's all because Biggio, Brown, and Shepard, and Patron were on base. Biggio hit third. I hit fourth. I had a guy hitting damn near 530 behind me. <laughs> so, you know, it was just, you know, we were a great collection of talent. You know, I wasn't from the inner city. I was, you know, from Connecticut suburbs. But, you know, we were tough. We had a lot of tough inner city kids. They, they came and played hard and tossed the game. I thought my I thought I thought the greatest addition of that team was was you know a, ca a captain by the name of Victor D Pasquale who didn't even play. I mean I'll give you an example. That 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 fall in '89, the captains took us to games in the fall. We didn't even need a coach. Hmm. Biggio drove a Biggio drove a van, and and D Pasquale drove a van. They coached third and first, and we went and played our played our you know our fall games. We didn't even have coaches. That's how in tune that team was and the leadership on that team. And that's why we were that great. Tremendous leadership for sure. And, and you mentioned the, the third base and he was also the assistant coach, Nick, Nick Bonus. He had a, a tremendous effect on, on the reason why you wore number 42 in the majors. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Just, you know, so many people talk about so many things and you want to pe put people in different boxes because of color and nationality and this and that. Nick Bolas was a, was a tough kid coming out of Carbondale, New Jersey, with a couple of brothers that, you know, him, you know, that he took care of, and they're all still alive now, and we all still talk to this day. But it was about going out and doing the right thing and, and playing hard and playing tough. And he was, he was, you know, an example of that. But here's a white guy that took me in under his wing, coached me, loved me, did every, you know, scolded me, did the things 
He popped me in, you know, in the head when he when he had to, but he's the one that wore 42. And he, you know, he said to me, he goes, when you get to the big leagues, you're gonna wear this number. And you need to start, you need to start studying the history of what this means. And when I got there, I had the opportunity. I put it put it on. And we talk, you know, I talk to Nick still three times, you know, three times a week. And, you know, we 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 just go back and forth, you know. Now I got a son and I'm, you know, teaching and I know you know, I taught his son how to play the game and, and it's just trickles down. So we what a tremendous relationship right now, you know, I have with him and, and uh I cherish that greatly. So you get drafted in nineteen 19- 89 by the Boston Red Sox. You make your way up the Red Sox minor league ladder. You play for Butch Hobson, Johnny Pesky, Ed Nolte. Which coach or player or manager helped <clears throat> you the most in, in the minors to set you the foundation <clears throat> for the majors? Johnny Pesky was a great man. Butch Hobson was a great man. Johnny Pesky was like my grandfather. He took care of me, got me bats, kept me positive. But I tell you, there was a cat by the name of Rico Petroselli. And there were, you know, scouts like Sam Mealy and, and other guys and Frank Malzone. You know, when I got to the big ones, you know, man, I was, I was, I, you know, you know, as good as I was, I wasn't as prepared. I look at what happens today with these kids in these academies. These kids come out really prepared, very, very much more prepared than I was. You know what I mean? And they're, 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 that's why they're so young, doing so well. You know, the information that they get now is far more information than I ever got. But Guys like Frank Million, Frank Malzone, and Rico Petroselli, they call me and go, Mo, you're dropping your head at first base. You know, balls were popping out of my glove. Just little things like that. But those were the guys, you know, you know, I'm a little bit, I'm not sour on baseball because I love baseball, but I wish they would keep more baseball guys in the game because they know the game. They can teach the game. And I know we talk about analytics, and I believe analytics, analytics has its place. But baseball has been played the same since Abner Doubleday invented it, and it hasn't changed. And for me, you need to keep as many baseball guys on that field, old guys, guys that really know the game that can teach the game in the game. Totally agree with you. And we, we talk about that each and every week. Uh, you make your major league debut against the New York Yankees at Fenway, June 27, 1991. How did you find out you were being called up, and what do you recall about that first game? I was in... I was, I talk about this opportunity I was, all the time. I was in uh, AAA playing the Phillies and staying at the Lackawanna Hotel. I got a hot, I got a call up. Butch came with the money going to the big leagues. Bro, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not a flying fan. I, I'll do it. <laughs> they put me on a propeller plane going from Pennsylvania, Scranton, Pennsylvania. To the big leagues, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna crash and burn before I get to the big leagues. It was bobbing and weaving up there. I got down, I got lost going to the ballpark. Um, it was just a whirlwind, but I made it. Uh, and for me, I sat there. I I think I walked my first at bat, and I get to first base, and there is Don Mattingly, a guy I've been watching my whole life, and I just honestly couldn't believe I was standing next to him. So for me, I had to get. The awe, I was, I was in awe. I was in awe of all the guys that I, that I loved. I loved that, you know, 70s, 70s era, Reggie Jackson. I loved, you know, you know, the 80s, you know, with, with Brett. And I, I, I met George Brett. I met Gantner. I met Robin. I played against Robin Young. One of my good friends is Kyle Ripken. I got to see those guys and play against those guys in early parts of my career. 
And I always cherish that because that's when baseball was played the way it was supposed to be. So it really doesn't take you long to establish yourself as a force in the middle of that lineup in 93. You had 297, 29 home runs, 101 RBIs, finishing 18th in the MVP voting. Your contributions off the field gain the hearts of the Fenway faithful as you're a frequent visitor of the Children's Hospital. You develop a really strong bond with an 11-year-old cancer patient named Jason Leader. And on April 24th in Anaheim, uh, you promised a home run for him. And you came through with that fly ball to deep center off Ken Patterson in the top of the seventh. I have to imagine uh, of the 328 career home runs you hit that that one still ranks pretty high as one of the more meaningful ones in your career, correct? You know, I don't know if people know this, but that's a tremendous story. Um, I just lost my mom to cancer September 1st. And do you know that Jason Leader's mom, Sue, my mom has been friends with her since the day we met. Still walking with her all those years after Jason had passed, they developed, developed a, a great rapport. I still talk to Jason's mom, Sue. Now she, she keeps me going from the passing of, of, of my mom. What a relationship, what a person that my mother was to just continue to help and continue to do things. And I think that's what I've learned to do is if you have the ability to, to, to reach out and you have the ability to help and you have the ability to make somebody feel better in life or, 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 or take some pain away. That's what we're here to do as athletes. And I think, you know, it's not something that you have to do. If you're able to, not everybody can get up in front of people and not everybody can get, you know, has that type of personally personality. I did. And I, and I try to do it as much as I can to this day is, is try to help people as much as I can, whether it be words or just encouragement, whatever it is, just try to be positive. Absolutely. One of the reasons why you were beloved to every place you played. Two years later, in 95, the Red Sox make the playoffs for the first time in five seasons. You're swept by the eventual American League champion Cleveland Indians in the division series. That season, you batted 300, hit 39 home runs, drove in a league-leading 126 runs, you made the All-Star team, you win the American League Most Valuable Award, Player Award, you become the face of the Red Sox on top of it, you receive the Bart Giamani Award for Community Service. Looking back on that season and the playoff run and all the excitement that was generated in Boston, what's the one moment that stands out the most from that magical season? I think, well, I think you know, going from last to first was just such a great thing for us. Um, I, you know, I, I talk about, you know, guys like Jeff Fry and all those guys that played on that team. Um, I think that was what it was. When you win at any point in time, whether it be, you know, a division or you clinch a division. And I'm sure that's what's so sweet about winning a World Series because you never forget those guys. But anytime you win, it's a tremendous camaraderie in the clubhouse. When guys retire and when we go off and we're playing, that's what we miss. We miss the clubhouse. We miss those things. And you'll always... Remember those guys when you when you played well and you did good things, and you, and you cherish that. But that's what you wish the most is 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 the glasses in the clubhouse that you're with for six to eight months a year, and that's what I miss from playing the ball, playing the game. 
During the April 15th, 97 ESPN broadcast honoring the 50th anniversary of Jackie Robinson's breaking the color line, you said if Jackie Robinson Day, Jackie Robinson Day should be celebrated every year. Uh, you say it all the time. It should be a national holiday. You can do what we do because of this man. Robinson's number was retired across baseball the following season. The players already wearing that number could continue to do so. You end up being the last African-American player to wear number 42 in the major leagues. Given what Nick Bonas told you all those years before, does that take on greater significance to you looking back at it now? It's the greatest thing. It's the greatest honor. Um, it's the, it's the, you know, I, I got that jersey hung up and it just means a lot than just, you know, a number that, that, that you wear. It, it, it represents so much. Um, it's about bringing the people together. And he did that in, in a way that, that nobody else could. His temperament as, as, as a, as a player was why he was able to cross the line and, 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 and withstand what he, what he, what he did. And it gave us minority black players and all, all minorities, the opportunity to play the game. And we should all, you know, we are all indebted to him for that. <coughs> you end up after playing with the angels, you come home here in New York, play for the Mets. Uh, part of a team with Mike Piazza, a, a pretty decent infield. That, that team underachieved, but you know you were hurt. You still managed to hit 26 home runs, including a bomb that bounced off the Shea Stadium right center field scoreboard June 26th. Uh, that was 505 feet. It was the longest home run of your career, one of the longest ones ever recorded at Shea. Uh, too bad they didn't have exit velo back in those days. <laughs> what, what do you uh, make of your Met years and getting to play for the Mets and, and being close to home for that? You know those two years. I wish I were healthy. I was never able to give, you know, the Mets, you know, what, what, you know, my hometown, what I really had. Um, I, you know, when I found, when I realized that I was really hurt, you know, I, I, I walked away from the game and, you know, I just wish I was, was, was really healthy and could play, you know, the game, the way that I, that I really wanted to play. You know, I used to come in the Shea Stadium in Boston, playing for Boston. And, and 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 tear it up because I was you know like Yankee Stadium I was at home so that's that's the only regret but things happen in life you know what I mean and and you know uh, with that you know you gotta you gotta live with certain things but I just wish I was able to give you know the New York fans and the Connecticut fans and those fans you know show them what I was really about. You know, it's interesting because when you get the chance to take a look at statistics and you start remembering players, I, I just remembered that you were always one of the most feared hitters in baseball. It's Hall of Fame time, so there's always that debate every year. You look at your numbers, and they're, they're really, really good. I, I mean, they're right up there with Richie Allen, Dick Allen as well. I mean, they, they're almost identical career paths. Um, I, I have a feeling that had you stayed healthy you know, and played three or four more years maybe as a DH, there's a no doubt you get in. Your numbers are still you know, across the board in the top 150 you know, all time in, in baseball, which is interesting. Um, it was good enough for induction into the Red Sox Hall of Fame. You're also a member of the Cape Cod Hall of Fame. What are your thoughts on the process currently, the way people are inducted in, into Cooperstown? And as a player, when you, you're you know, further on in your career and, and you see those numbers, do you start thinking about that? Listen, I think you got to have 400 plus to get there. You know, um, I just didn't play enough enough years. A lot of it is, you know, you need longevity. You need to be healthy. 
And, you know, that didn't happen for me. But I look at my career as, listen, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's about respect. And, you know, I see people that are like, Mo, you know, you could play and, and you could compete and hit with, with, with anybody, you know, you came to play and, and, you know, you let the chips made where you were, where it fall where they married. My biggest thing that I, I, that I was about was I'm out there. I'm playing every day. day. I don't care who's throwing Randy Johnson, whatever it is, we're going to come and compete and you're going to know I was there. And I think that's what I live with. That's what, you know, you know, what I, what I, what I aspire to be. And that's what I was. And I'm very, very happy with that. Lastly, as impressive as everything that you have accomplished on the field is what you've been able to accomplish post-retirement as well um, is just as impressive. You continue to do community outreach, very organizations such as Omni New York, which acquires, builds, and rehabilitates distressed housing in New York metropolitan area. You pursued business ventures, including a trucking company called Movan Born Transport 27 and MVP Collections, a stylish clothing line for big and tall men. On September 20th, 2012, a baseball field at Trinity Pauling High School was renovated with a clear infield and irrigation system to help withstand the northeast weather dedicated in your name. And now you have the Vaughn Sports Academy, which you mentioned, which places value on the relationships you have with your students and parents. All of the coaches are dedicated to professionals who not only push their students to excel and be the best they can, but they're also their friend and mentor in life. Of all those things that you've done post-playing career, which is the one that gives you the most pride and the biggest sense of fulfillment? You know, we all wonder what we're, what are, you know, we all, you know, as men, we got to keep evolving. We got to keep, we got to keep figuring out what gets us going every, every day. I'm very, very proud of, I'm in New York LLC. It's, it's, you know, we are affecting families, creating positive energy, you know, creating, you know, affordable housing, quality, affordable housing for families. And, you know, we have over 17,000 units of that stuff right now in six states. And, and we're still rolling very, very strong. That's one of my biggest accomplishments you know i got into the you know the clothing line because it was a need but i think for me i i realized what i am and i never thought i was going to be that but i'm a coach and i take the the game of baseball and i use it to teach life lessons to young people and it's been great you know i you know i i coach my son i get a chance to it gives me a conduit to be with him consistently at all times and show them the game and show them what toughness is and show them what, what, you know, hard work is and, and, and be able to love them at the, at, at the same time. So I think, you know, VSA is, 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 is where I'm going to, you know, lay me, that'll be my last thing that I do. Um, but I enjoy and I, and I understand what I am now. I'm coach and I'm here to affect young people in a positive way. Awesome. Uh, you know what? Uh, when I go down there for spring training, Boca's not that far. I'll, I'll take a ride down. Um, but you know what? Mm -hmm. you, you might want to call Buck Showalter because the Mets still need a bench coach. So there's <laughs> an opening there. Listen, Mo, yep. thanks so much for your time tonight. More importantly, thanks for so many great baseball memories and for all the, the off-field work you've done and continue to do. Um, you know, we applaud you and we really, really appreciate. And um, it was a lot of fun watching, you know, those that year and plus, you know, here in New York and those bombs that you hit at Shea Stadium. I want to tell you something. This is probably the best interview I've had in my career, and I appreciate it. That, and Mo, wow. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate right. that. I really appreciate and that. And 
You guys, you need me, give me a call. All right, brother? You got it, Mo. Have a great one. Mo Vaughn, right, 1995 thanks. American League MVP.